0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're coming to us from SoundCloud or all over the world, welcome. God bless you, and thank you for coming. Whether you're in my house, God bless you. Thank you for joining us here today. Uh, If this is your first time, listen to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed. You come to me from McKinney, Texas. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. So we always start with a prayer, as I always say. Because I'm not your teacher. I'm just the man that God's using to teach you. Okay, Not my words, it's His word. We know that the Bible says that only the Holy Spirit teaches us. So it's not me, it's only the Holy Spirit speaking through me and through His words. So let's pray and ask God to help us understand everything that He has to say to us today. Because And help me to to teach this message because I can't do it without His help. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for... Uh, helping us, Lord God, help, thank you so much, Lord God, that you even want to give the revelation to understand, Lord God, to those that seek, Lord, even that you desire those to seek that don't even want to seek, Lord God. And it's, <laughs> Thank you, Lord God. Thank you so much. It's just a, just another aspect of your love. Another, just another aspect, just another range of your love, Lord God. Thank you so much. And we just ask, Lord God, that you would help me to present these words today, Lord God, as your truths, Lord God, your truths as as they are, They're not my spin on them or not anything I'm trying to take out to make my point or whatever, Lord God. But I, I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to preach these words, Lord, today—the words that are your truth, the ones that all coincide, the ones that all commentate on themselves, Lord God, the ones that all that all Scripture speaks of, Lord God—and help people to understand the things that you want to say to them today, Lord God. Help us all. Lord God, to understand more and more and more and more about you every day that we're alive. For Lord God, that is, there's nothing greater, Lord God, than to understand you more and to follow you more, Lord, in our lives. There's, that's, Lord, we take that book, The Purpose Driven Life, and we could throw it in the garbage. Because, yes. Lord, all we have to do, Lord, is look in your word, and our purpose is to find you and to love you and to follow you all the rest of the days of our lives. Yes. That's our purpose. That's our main purpose, Lord God. And then to give your love to others. And they're the purpose-driven life in a whole, just five, four, two, two sentences, Lord God. Not even a whole book. Help us, Lord God, to be those kinds of people. Thank you. We love you. And we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You can turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 28, for that's where we're going to be today. Okay, But I'm not going to read them or teach them until I go over my very, very, very short, because I have a lot of other things that I really want to talk about today, my very short you know, overview of last week's message, Does Evolution Explain Away an Intelligent Designer? Last week we did a whole lot of spiritual off-roading, like I told you last week. And what does that mean? Well, there are multiple contextual meanings to every section of Scripture in God's Word. There's a main context, and then there's lots of sub-contexts. As long as we're staying within context, I mean, there's a lot of false places that have gotten a lot of things out of Scripture that aren't really there, but I'm talking about main and sub-contextual meanings, the things that the Scripture is saying to us. Uh, Example, what I taught you last week. Last week, the main context of the section was the apostles rejoicing with a prayer to God about the great victory he had given them over the evil religious leaders who wanted to kill them, and we just talked about that just a little. But our main focus of the sermon was not the main context of the sermon. It was just a subcontext, just a couple of different things in the disciples' prayer that they were rejoicing about to God in their victory that they had, He had just given them over to religious leaders. And those subcontextual things that I taught you on mainly was their proclamation that a creator, an intelligent designer, God Almighty created everything and not evolution, right? This creator, intelligent God, then led me to speak on the lack of evidence found for belief called evolution, which claims to explain God away. And then I gave you just a snippet, just, just a, really, just a, just a, tiny thimbleful, one that's the really the size of my thumb uh, really just a snippet of the mountains of evidence for god along with the proofs of who he is in regards to even which god he is right well, that's that's how i kind of closed my sermon well how do, I, how do we know which god it really is i mean there's so many gods of the peoples right and, and, you know right there's just so many and with all the evidence that i presented did evolution explain god away not even close there's an old thing there's a newsboy song written on that, that they came out and they, you know the whole premise was that people were saying God is dead well i 'm here to say evolution is dead Amen. by what we found in the actual evidence, fossil record, and the thing. evolution is dead, and God is alive, Amen. and which God, with evidence did we find to be this intelligent creator God amongst all the world religions, we clearly had a winner in Jehovah. Yahweh, Jesus Christ of the Bible. For no other religion, and I say that with firmness. I don't stand up here with a wet noodle, guys. I stand up here with firmness. And I tell you that not one other religion has any tangible evidence for their God, other than to just say, Well, we, we believe, you know, that's just the way I was born. Well, that's that's nice and all, but give me proof, give me evidence. And then I'll believe, because I'm a skeptic. That's why I love the God of the Bible, for He first loved me. And I love His Word, the Bible, for it even shows us another angle of His love, right? Another angle of His love is He's given us mounds of evidence to set our fate on, right? We don't. We can say that we're the only people in the world that believe in a God, that our faith is not blind. Other faiths, they're blind. Uh, Muslims and Buddhists, they're blind. They, they're, they're walking in the walls, they don't... They don't we see clearly, we see clearly, and our faith is not, our faith is not blind. Praise God. Anyway, that's the shortest overview I've probably ever done. I'm really excited about our message today. Um, let's get on to our new sermon. Title of our message, Does Mankind Have Free Will? Does Mankind Have Free Will? Look at Acts 4, 24 through 28. We're going to read it over really quickly, just, just, just a few verses today. We have a lot to say. Acts four, twenty four through twenty eight. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is within them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to do. Hmm. Does mankind have free will? So two weeks ago, we learned that the disciples were put on trial and judged by evil religious leaders for healing a poor and helpless man. They get released, don't get killed or even punished, because Bible says the masses of people were there, in verse 21, kind of supporting them, and the religious leaders were kind of scared about it. And that, of course, is looking at that whole situation from a physical perspective, of course. There is another perspective to look at what happened to them regarding the religious leaders, and that's the spiritual perspective it's always a physical perspective there's always a spiritual perspective from from the spiritual perspective uh, excuse me from the spiritual perspective there were let go because number one it wasn't God's will or time for them to be punished or beaten by these religious leaders and and that's not always the case as we're going to read just in next chapter over Acts 5 God allowed them to be beaten by these same people. They were preaching again. They got arrested again. The religious the religious leaders come up and say, didn't we tell you not to preach anymore? Well, you know, and then they had them beaten. They kind of had a meeting and then they let them go. So nevertheless, that's not always the case. God sometimes allowed them to be beaten for their faith, but not here. So spiritually, this time, God said no. And two, it wasn't God's time for them to depart from this earth. As the Bible says, Is really God's determination on when he decides to take a person away from this earth or not. Uh, the Bible says, really, God is in control of what happens to His children. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Which means that whatever they saw happening to them in the spiritual perspective, or in the physical perspective then, and whatever we see as God's kids today, happen in the physical perspective now. God's in control of what happens to us. That love him, of course. Now, the main premise for this message, the whole message is kind of that verse a little bit, but it's going to also include, as the title alluded, Psalms 97.1. 97.1, a song of praise to the sovereign Lord. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. God being sovereign, and I'll explain more as the message progresses, but this scripture reference is a, is really the backbone of this entire section, as well as the parallel to a verse we're going to study here in just a little bit, as you'll see. I kind of kind of slowed down on it. It was verse 28. I can't help you. You can look at it over again. Anyway, moving backwards a little bit from where we stopped last week to get some main and awesome context of the disciples' prayer of deliverance, uh, we read this. Look at their beautiful prayers. They run to their brethren, and they're so excited about God's deliverance they say these things verses 24 and 25 so when they heard that they raised their voice to God with one accord and all together and they said Lord you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is within them notice these guys these children of God open up their prayer with a proclamation of God to who he is I didn't talk about that last week Lord You are God. The word Lord there in the Greek means master. So really they were saying, Master, you are God. Well, who do you call master? The one that owns you. So they were giving him the praise of, Master, our owner, you are God. They give him the honor he's due by attributing him the great works that he's done. Then after that, they say, you made heaven and earth and all that is created within them it reminds me of what the psalmist says in 110 uh, verse 4 enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise being thankful to him and bless his name if you consider yourself a child of god whoever considers themselves a child of god you listen to me online please understand this Every prayer that you open up to God should be giving him praise and thanksgiving for who he is for. He is due all honor and all praise. Listen, you can give it to him now or you can give it to him later. Uh, Philippians 2, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if you're his now, you're going to praise him because you want to. If you're not His now and you don't want to be His, you're going to praise Him because you have to one day. But every child of God should open up their prayer acknowledging who He is and how awesome He is. And just, you don't have to go on and spend a half hour if you don't want to, but just one of the many ways that you could praise him. I mean, he made everything. He puts your heart to beat in your chest and your air to f- your lungs to fill with air. He he allows us to have these awesome bodies that we live in which are supernatural miracles in themselves anyway. If you're a child of God, you should always open up your prayers with praise and thanksgiving unto God for he is due. All right. With the intro of who God is and how great and wonderful he is, giving him praise that he's due and the praise that he's rightly deserves, the disciples continue in verses 25 and 26 with their prayer. He says this. They say this, I should say. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They repeat in their prayer to our wonderful, powerful, and awesome God, David's prophecy from Psalms 2, or Psalm 2, 1 through 2. In this prayer and David's uh, prophecy were given, which were given 800 to 1000 years before Christ ever lived, we read that God spoke through David's mouth at some point about the people, including the kings and rulers that plotted these vain things or rose up against God and his Christ, right? That's what, that's what the prophecy was. And this is what Peter and the apostles and all the disciples saw according to the physical perspective. Look at verse 27. For truly, they're saying that in the feast, they're saying, hey, we saw it. We're first-hand person witnesses. We sought for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Disciples here confirming that they were the first-hand witnesses to to this fulfillment of David's prophecy, the people's rulers, etc., all rising up against Jesus the Christ and against God Almighty. Isn't prophecy so wonderful it's so, so wonderful. And here we see yet another fulfilled prophecy for the Bible, providing, its provi- providing how it's authentic it is and providing how real it is, as this would be also proving the God of the Bible and the Jesus Christ of the Bible as well, right? Which, if it's another strike for the Bible, what is it a strike against? It's a strike against evolution and any other religion because we can prove this prophecy happened even in non-Christian history books. Listen to this. The Roman, uh, the, the Jewish historian, which was not Christian, so they would have been a good witness because they weren't kind of collaborating with. The Jewish historian Josephus and Tacitus, if I'm saying that right, the Roman historian, reco- recorded both Christ's reality and his death and they would have been awesome witnesses because they weren't christians and they weren't collaborating with and they both talk about how this was a true idea that happened and they live real near the time if not in the time that christ was actually going through all this but not to mention that but we even have the proof of christ's reality of birth in our ad in our calendar i don't know if you know this and just in our calendar alone we're 2017 ad and that's worldwide A.D. in his abbreviation for the Latin expression, Anno Domini, which translates to the year of the Lord. So here we have even our calendar proving that Christ was born. Now, I'm not going to go too much into this whole idea again because we spent a whole sermon last week talking about this. But I must give you this story that I came up with that this happened to me this week of a guy that I ran into at work This guy they ran to, where he's an acquaintance of mine, and I'll call him the German man, okay, because he's a German friend. He was a doctor, but then um, God humbled him. That's the only way I could say it, because at one point, uh, he used to really believe in the flu shots and all that good stuff. Well, he got a flu shot, and, you know, in those flu shots and stuff, they say that there's all those little one-half, one-percent, teeny, teeny, tiny, 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 you know, things that could happen to you because... You get those things. Well, he had one of those teeny, teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny things happen to him. He came home from the flu shot, walked out his back door, let the dog out, dropped down, looked like he was dead. People thought he was dead. His name dogs out there for hours. The neighbor looks over the fence. He's laying on the ground. Ants crawling all over him. They thought he was dead. They rush him to the hospital. Turns out that that one of those little teeny, teeny, tiny, teeny little tiny things that happened to him was is that all the nerve endings in his whole body died. Completely. Boom. But he could still know. He could still think. He could still hear you. He couldn't move. He wasn't dead, but he was in this state for three to six months in a hospital where he couldn't move. Nurses handling him roughly, hurting him, couldn't say anything, washing him, water going down, choking him, and he couldn't say anything. Literally, a living hell is what I would call this. Literally. You can't say anything or even make a noise, yet... You can still hear and know everything that's going on around you, and you still know that you're alive. Anyway, I've known him for a long time. We've talked about this. He told me about his experiences. Anyway, he's kind of an acquaintance kind of friend now, and we got into a little talk about the Bible after he was telling me about his condition because all the nerve endings came back in his body except for he has no feeling in his feet and no feeling in his hands. But the amazing way the body works is is that he still feels this zap, as the neurons are trying to reach his fingers, he still feels these zaps. He can't feel his hands, and he doesn't even know he's touching on anything, but he can still feel this, this pain all the time, day and night, when he sleeps, when he's awake, it's pain just pulsating through his fingers, and he can't stop it. Drives him literally insane. And, and all, of course, I tell him, I'm, I've been praying for you, you know, German man. I don't want to tell you his name or anything, break his confidence, but I, I pray for him. Anyway, well, we got talking about the Lord. and We got talking about our, my sermon last week, in a sense. Because he starts telling me, oh, evolution, you know, you just, you know, gather this and the other thing, and evolution, and this, that, and, and I said, well, you know, I said, you can't give me any proof for your evolution, that's what I, that's what I, you know, that's what I have a problem with, oh, y- yes I can, yes I can, well, wh- well where's your proof for, for evolution, German man, well, just look at your eye tooth, the roots in your eye tooth are very long, and for a reason, and I said, well, that's that's interesting, I said, but can you show me when that was any way other different than what it is now? Do you have proof of any way it's ever, they've ever been shorter and we've evolved to get them better? And he changed the subject. As, of course, he couldn't answer that question. I asked him for just even one proof of evolution from the, from the archaeological record, from the, you know, from the fossil record. He couldn't. Oh, there are many. There are many. Where? Where are the many? Well, there. change the subject. I said, but did you know? And 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 then he goes on to tell me about how, and you know, we're not even alone in the universe. Start telling about aliens and things like that. I said, well, just give me proof of these. It's all I want. Just give me some proof. Well, since he couldn't come up with any, I said, but did you know that your own people, along with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Muslims, I said, because of your people, I can actually prove the Bible to you, well, 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 that's, well, that's, oh, well, that's, that's ridiculous. But how, how? I said, well, here's how. I said the Jews are the most persecuted people on the planet. They have been tried to been exterminated by your people, by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, by the by the Muslims for years and years and years and years. And I said, yet they just. Stay in that land, Israel. I said nobody can move them. I, isn't that something? I, well, you know you know the, you know, the, you know the, the those Jews and you know when they World War and they were lending out all that money and all he could do was badmouth those poor Jews over there. And I he went into all oh, you know there's only like not even eight and a half million Jews over there. You know and did you know that that's like the number of even New York. Like New York has more people than that. Well, yeah, but the Jews and and they're so dirty and there's but yet he couldn't. End. Answer the fact that I tell him I know the seeds got planted, and I know he's an expert truth suppressor. But I will say this: he still got the seeds planted of the reality of the Bible and how the Bible you can actually authenticate it versus some random processes that oh my eye tooth that, that that proves evolution to me. What? That's a, that's a really interesting proof. How? Well, you know this other thing anyway. Sad, but exciting all at the same time as I got to use my, what we used in our sermon just last week on a fellow that I talked to this week. And in today, in regards to this prophecy, as I said, we can put another check mark on the column for the Bible with this fulfilled prophecy of people rising up against and come against Jesus and God Almighty as this is a provable and authenticatable uh, prophecy that we had. Anyway, getting back, I don't know, it's a whole new subject today, Uh, getting back. Now, I I just got to tell you the physical perspective, right, of what happened to Jesus of Nazareth by Jesus Christ, or by the peoples that raged against him, and, and then about the spiritual perspective. What happened in the spiritual perspective? What do we see? We saw the physical, right? They came, Peter said, hey, it really happened, the prophecy was proved. What about the spiritual perspective, What can we say on the spiritual perspective? We'll look at what the disciples say in our last verse of today about the spiritual perspective because the disciples tell us, verse 28, that the people do those things, that they did those things, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Ouch. Now the disciples just told us in their prayer that the unsaved people's only did what God determined, and this is not a stretch, made and willed them to do. They had no control of their actions in this regard to what happened to Jesus Christ. And you say the disciples, they say the unsaved peoples? Yes, I'm telling you, because they just did. God controlled their actions in the regards of killing Jesus Christ. Now, Earlier, we read of how God is in control of what happens to His kids, but here also we find that also God is in control of those whom are not His kids and what they even do too. Now, how can that be? Now, how can that be? I, I believed in free will for my ever since I've been a Christian, and I know many Christians that believe in free will. So does. Do people have free will or is God sovereign? Remember that backbone verse I told you in Psalm 97, the song of praise to the sovereign Lord, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad. And the parallel verse, verse 28, and the Lord made the thing he determined beforehand; he made them do. God reigning or being sovereign means that God can do exactly what the disciples just said he did. He can control people. Wow, God can control mankind so that they absolutely must do his will or, or what he wants done. And, and by what we've read so far, that goes for the unsaved and the saved alike. And we just, we've just we read it. It's scriptural. I'm not making stuff up. This is what the scripture says. But we must be careful as how we approach and understand this idea of sovereignty and free will because there's a lot of misunderstanding. And, and because of that, of course, any time that there's a misunderstanding in the Bible... Sadly, what we have is damage. A lot of people do damage to an idea when there's, just, there's multiple ideas and there's some, some confusion. Well, I don't quite understand this way and I don't understand that way, so they just pick away. They just pick away and then the damage is done and then people are hurt and then people are confused and the conundrum lies here. If God is sovereign and in total control, which is what Psalm says, and what we read here, how can people have any free will and have any control? And if people have free will and control, can God be sovereign? <clears throat> and can God be in control? This is like a conundrum. Or, or is there a mix? Or is it just one way? Or is it both ways? Or I mean, it's confusing. Really, it's a very confusing topic biblically. So uh, when I begin this message, I did not intend to speak on this subject of the Bible. I did not come up this week going, oh, man, I can't wait to talk about free will this week. Hallelujah. But as God would have it, probably I would say most likely his will, because he gave me everything for the thing. So he must have just controlled me and said, boom, you're going to do this, my son. He burned my heart to speak the truth on the subject of God's sovereignty and the free will of mankind in the Bible. As the verses in our, fa- on our study today, they just put it right in our face, right? They just slam it. Right there, hey! God made the people do that. Whoa! God made the people do that. God can make people do that. But I thought people had free will, and I don't ever just want to glaze over a hard subject in Scripture that that it brings us to. I want to understand it more, and I'll tell you, just, these sermons are a blessing to me because these sermons allow me to have these. I, I work, I'm, I can work on my sermon as much as like 20, 25 hours a week, and I, I can tell you that you know these when I write them, God gives me so much interesting light because I'm able to pour my time into understanding them. And so I know that people in the world want to understand the Bible more too, so I'm kind of, you know, I'm like, "Okay, Lord, I'll 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 go through this tough subject if you want me to." So, does humanity have free will or is God sovereign only? Well, if you just look at the verses that we just read here in Acts 4 and apply it to the entire aspect of the free will of people, then you would say that there's no such thing as free will, and people are puppets, and God controls and determines everything. He is completely, completely sovereign. But is that really the truth, or do people have free will? There's a lot of the subject free will. My hope today is not to get through everything. I'm not going to get through everything in like another 35 minutes. I'm going to try to give you what God has shown me the the the, the whole kind of like the umbrella of the whole subject of the Bible I'm not going to get to every angle but my hope for you listening to this message as it was for me is that you come away with it with a proper understanding and a clear picture of the God of the Bible and what his sovereignty really really means so does humanity have free will or is God completely sovereign what's the deal let's start with the definition of Free will from Merriam-Webster. Number one, voluntary choice or decision. I do this of my own free will. Number two, freedom of humans to make choices that are not determined by prior causes or by divine intervention. So do we find God's sovereignty or man's free will in the scriptures or both? Let's look at what the Bible has to say. First, it's important to note, which is kind of a strike in the way if you're wondering if free will is right. In case you didn't know this, but the actual term free will is not actually coined in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says man has free will. Bible doesn't say God gives man free will. It doesn't use those words. Kind of like others would make the argument against the Trinity. There's you know the word Trinity doesn't even exist in the Bible. Yeah, I know it, the word's not there, I, but you gotta look to what the scripture says. Because the word Trinity was a ma- word made up by us. Well, same thing here, free will. It's kind of like we made it up, but I believe. We see it in the Bible. But I mean, if you just look at no free will and Acts 4, where our sovereign God made the religious leaders do what he wanted them to do, it's, it's really easy to think, well, well, we're just puppets, I guess, because, you know, I mean, God's God's sovereign and look at what he did here. But it's important to know that even though we don't read the words free will, we see it in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, okay? The Lord Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but, there's that darn word but, like that darn word if, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it you shall surely die. Now notice some things about this verse. Notice first, God put the tree there. The tree represents Choice. Would a God who is controlling our free will completely put choice that we had no choice to either obey it or not? Then God gave Adam the command not to eat the eat of the tree and, listen, gave Adam consequences to eating from that tree. Now, consequence is not necessary if option or choice aren't there, right? You, you don't have a consequence if you can't do something because you don't have the free will or choice to do it, then the consequence is not necessary. We were just talking about it before service today, uh, talking about certain things about the Bible, and I said, I, a warning wouldn't come without a cause. Warnings don't, if the cliffs did not exist, I could not tell you, and I would be a fool to, hey, Joe or Bob, be careful of that cliff over there, because guess what? There's no cliff. My warning would be useless. I would be wasting my words. Yet, here in this, back to the scripture, we all know the account, right? Satan tempts Adam and Eve. They eat from the tree. God commanded them not to eat. Now, here's logic. Let's use some logic here. Logic tells us if no tree and no command to eat from the tree, then there's absolutely no free will. Then if there was no tree and there was no command not to eat from that tree, we wouldn't have a choice. There would be no free will. God would be completely sovereign, and we are completely robots, zero with free will. But since God put the tree, which is choice, then God commanded them not to eat the tree, then God gave Adam a choice, which is free will. Logic even tells us this. It tells us that since God commanded Adam to not eat of that tree, which was a rule and a law, this God's first rule, actually, first law, do not eat from this tree, then God would have not made Adam sovereignly eat of it if man really had no free will, right? God would not force Adam to break a rule that he had just laid down if man did not have free will. This would make God an accomplice or one that aided Adam in breaking his law and being a lawbreaker. Now, is God a (laughs) lawbreaker? God is not a lawbreaker. And look at this. It, it even goes further. You can say, Well, you know, Pastor, well, look at this. If you had no choice and I told you not to do something, which would be completely illogical, but then you did it because somehow you did it, and because I made you do it, would I be disappointed that you did it? No, because I made you do it, right? Yet Genesis 3:13, and the Lord God said to the woman, What have you done? Well, Wait a minute. If God made them do it, why would he have been disappointed that they did it? So we see here that they had free will to do what they wanted here outside of God's control because God wouldn't have been disappointed because he made them do it. This is the first place we see free will. And if they didn't have free will, this makes your brain go tilt. I mean, God's not illogical and his word's not illogical either, which would also mean if God made them break it in his first law, he would also have been going against his own word. James one thirteen. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So then if God willed them because they had no free will and he made them eat it, then that was evil because it was a law. He said, don't do it. Yet they did it. He would have been breaking his own law and he would have been breaking his own word, tempting people. So there's... Free will for you right away. But you say, you know, because I was thinking and God puts a lot of interesting things on my mind when I'm doing these sermons. But you say, Pastor Ed, God commanded the religious leaders to go against Jesus Christ. And God says in Exodus 20, 13, you shall not kill. And killing is evil, right? I mean, murder. I can't go murder somebody that's evil. So you say, well, Here. God can't tempt anybody, but he did there. So what's your answer to that, Pastor Ed? I'd like to hear it because you know what? You just kind of, you're talking in circles. Well, God actually gave me the answer because I didn't actually have the answer. Well, you see, murder, the kind of murder that God was talking about in Exodus 20, was evil. That was murderous That was because we know God allowed war. And we know God allowed killing in war. And we know God allowed killing to, to stone and to kill people that were evildoers and the sinners. So we know it's not that kind of murder or that kind of killing that God is talking about. So we know God does allow some killing. And yet, although they did murder Jesus in an evil way, that was of a physical perspective. In the spiritual perspective... Killing Jesus was not evil because had Jesus not died, there would be no salvation for mankind. So that was God's will and that was not evil. And so therefore, we don't see God breaking his word. Logic tells us that here, Adam and Eve, had they eaten the, 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 the fruit out with God's approval, that they would have, and that wasn't a good thing that they ate the fruit, and then God was disappointed. Anyway... They had free will to obey God or not to obey God, just as we looked at, and they chose to not obey him by their own free will that they had. Excuse me. But did you see there in Genesis 2, though? Because, you know, we always have that thing, right? We have free will versus God's sovereignty. And we know the Bible says that God is sovereign. So if God couldn't have been sovereign in what they just did... Because he's not going to go against his own word. He's not going to make himself disappointed. Did you see a place there in Genesis 2, one aspect that they didn't have free will over? Did you see there one, one place where they where he was sovereign? Listen to this. I'll, I'll show you. They had Genesis 2, 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden and told him, tend and keep it. They, Adam and Eve, had their own free will to live who for whoever they wanted to, but they God was sovereign in where he put them. He they did not have a choice as to where they lived. They did not have a choice as to what they were supposed to do. God said, do that. They had to do what he said in regards to what they were working with and what they were doing. God is sovereign and the Bible is true. God is sovereign. I just can't believe that God is sovereign completely over every single thing and the way we worship him and the way people do evil things because I just don't read it in the Bible. Because Just because he was sovereign over the aspect of their free will and where they live didn't mean that he took away their free will as a whole and he made them obey, love, and serve him, right? And since this is part of God's character here in Genesis towards people, and Hebrews 13 says that, jesus christ and we'll say god is the same yesterday today and forever then we know that this must be the way of god towards all humanity until the end of time right because god's character doesn't change that's one thing about god that god does not change well when did god change his mind toward humanity if you say what well, pastor ed that's just genesis well when did he change chapter verse please i gotta have it you won't find it because god hasn't changed in his actions or the way he deals with people So does humanity have free will will according to what we read about in Genesis 2? Yes, in regards to if we serve or worship God or Jesus Christ, if we choose to or if we choose to live for ourselves. But not in regards to where we live or work according to Genesis 2 because God put the man in the garden. He said this is what you're going to do. They had no control over those things. Now, I just made some pretty strong claims. I just made some pretty strong, you know, hey, this is some some pretty, you know, hard things to swallow if you've never heard things like this, because I'll tell you the truth. Before I taught this sermon, well, I'm teaching now, I've never heard of these things ever. I've never, I've never, ever, ever heard a pastor break things down like this, the way God has shown me. So they're kind of new to me. So, you know, to me, what we always got to do when we're reading and when we're studying the Bible is we always got to see, does the Bible commentate on itself? Because if the Bible doesn't commentate on itself, then I just picked something out of the verse that really wasn't there and I'm I'm a false teacher. So we have to really be careful in order to what we're seeing here. So the question is, does the Bible commentate on the issue of free will in regards to whether you have the right or free will to live for yourself or God, but God also be sovereign in, in you in choosing the place where you work and live and where you're born and so on and so forth? Well, actually, it absolutely does. Deuteronomy 7, God tells the children of Israel or the Jews that he chose them out of the peoples of the earth, non-eternal salvation wise, okay? This is a choosing according to the flesh to be his people. And the Bible tells us that he did this for a couple of reasons. He wanted them to be a witness for him upon all the earth. He wanted to show people how faithful he was. Some of his character. He wanted to show his power through them, just just as a few. But he chose them as the smallest one of the smallest nations of the earth, so that people would know, wow, this God is awesome. Look, he just like the German man. Hey, look at this smallest nation in the whole world practically, and yet they're surrounded by millions and millions of hundreds of millions of Muslims, and yet they don't go nowhere. Wow, there has to be a God in heaven because there's no way that that's possible. So anyway, we see that that's one of the reasons we chose him. But just because he chose them for certain non-eternal salvation reasons, did that mean that he forced them so they had no free will to obey, love, and serve him? Hmm. If he did, then why would Joshua say in one of the most powerful evangelical sections of Scripture in the whole entire Bible, Joshua 24, 13, listen to what he says. I've given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them, talking to the children of Israel. You eat the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. There's God's sovereignty. There's God's sovereignty. Chosen him. They didn't have a choice to be chosen according to the flesh. They didn't have a choice to where they live. Boom. God said, you're going to live here. Verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Here's a command. Serve him in sincerity and truth. Hey, do not eat from that tree and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. That's a command. Do not eat that tree. God's telling him, hey, this is what I want you to do. Verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose. Oh, the word choose? No. Choice means what? Free will? Uh, Choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods that your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites or those in the land. But as for me and my house, he's, he's making a choice there. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Since God chose the Jews above the people for His reasons and placed them in the land of His choosing, which is sovereignty, you can make the leap that He took away their free will or overall to, to serve Him forcefully. But no. But then, just like Genesis two, He told them that if they, <laughs> in Genesis two, He told them that if they thought serving and loving God Almighty was evil, then they should use their free will or their choice to love him and serve him and or themselves or false gods of the lands. So again here we see that even God's chosen according to the flesh Jewish people had their free will as to if they would live for themselves or him and be saved, but not the place in which they lived. So we see free will and we see the sovereignty of God. And I mean at this point kind of off notes it is kind of sovereign of God because we know that without God, the Bible says that all things are held together in Christ. So that means that if He wasn't even, if He said, "Oh, you know, I, I'm done holding those people together," then you know what? Then the Bible says there, we'd all just disappear. We'd all just fly in the middle of billions and trillions and zillions of atoms and everything, and we wouldn't be held together. So in that respect, absolutely God is sovereign because if he didn't want us to hold us together, we wouldn't even actually be a people. We wouldn't even be a world. Anyway, as time went on from Joshua's time, did Jewish people choose to live, love, and serve God Almighty? Sometimes. But if you know your Old Testament, then you know that there's a big, fat, big buzzer time coming here, okay? Because just one scripture reference that encapsulates the whole Old Testament, okay? We got Isaiah 1, 2, and 3. We see this. Excuse me. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, God speaking, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, speaking about the Jewish people Israel, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not consider. Yet although they were his chosen people, who were the people that he chose that didn't even make it into the promised land? The same Jews. Why? Why? For rebellion and unbelief, they chose not to obey with the free will God gave them, but again, the sovereignty and where they lived, and the sovereignty that although they still didn't obey him, he still chose them, and there still his people to this day. God, the Bible says it. I don't want to argue. <laughs> the Bible says that. Did the Jews' attitude change toward God in the New Testament? Well, look at Jesus' cry to God's chosen people in Matthew 23, 37 and 38, with the consequences <clears throat> Where coincidentally, we see a strong argument for free will for mankind. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted, keep those words in mind, I wanted, we're going to talk about them in just a minute. I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Oh, there's will. There's free will. You were not willing. See the consequences. See, your house is left to you desolate. Did they change their attitude towards God and Jesus Christ at all? Nope, not at all. But again, looking at free will here, outside of divine control, God was willing or desiring his chosen people to use their free will. He gave them back in Genesis 2 to love him back, yet they were not willing and went against his will. Wow. Now, According to some religious people in our world, namely Calvinists, I hate to call them out like that, but they ought to be called out. Nobody, and I've had conversation after conversation after conversation after conversation, nobody can resist God's will. That's what they'll tell you. Uh, Even according to Calvinist Corner, you can actually go look them. Nobody can resist God's will. Yet that's just what we just saw that the Jews just did. Uh, So so just breaking it down because they will say, well, it just say you know that he wanted, and that doesn't really say his will that he willed them to do it. But looking at the words, Matthew twenty three in the concordance, Strong's concordance, the words I wanted. There in Matthew 23, where Jesus Christ just said in God's place, how long I have wanted to gather you together. The I wanted, according to Strong's Concordance, number G2309. You can look it up for yourselves. And the Greek word is philo, is defined as. Now, now listen to this. So, so I'm going to read this. I'm going to read them, but then I'm going to kind of go back. <clears throat> to will. Have in mind. A intend to be resolved or determined to purpose. Now, let's read it again. Read it again. Matthew 23. How long I have determined with my will to gather you as my children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So hence, the consequence Your house is left to you desolate. Now, you could say, well, they did, but no. Jesus said, your house is left to you desolate, which means that they had made their choice. They had chosen no, yet because they used their choice, their house was left to them desolate, which means that in Matthew 23, God willed and was determined with a purpose for his chosen people to love him back, yet they resisted. But how could they resist God's will if all their will was under God's control? That doesn't make any sense. Completely illogical. And just using simple logic here, uh, that's not, not accurate at all. Would God, think of this, just like we're going back to the tree, would God will and determine the Jews to come to him, how long I've wanted, and also will them? To reject them or reject him at the same time? What well, doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like wisdom. That sounds like like bipolarism right there. <laughs> Does God know what He wants? I mean, He wants them to come to Him, but He doesn't want them. I mean, that's the God of Calvinists, though. He's bipolar. Really, he is he, want, but nobody can resist his will, yet there he said, "I will and determine by my purpose that they're supposed to come to me, yet they didn't come to him, So God was willing and desired Jews to come to him, yet since no one can resist his will, that would mean he, he went against his own will and desire and will them not to come to him. What? What? But since that's illogical, and we know the God of the Bible, and we know the Bible is logical. If they had their own free will to choose to obey and serve and love him back outside of his control, as we saw he give Adam and Eve and the children of Israel with Joshua, yet they rejected him, that would make perfect logic, wouldn't it? Isn't that the Bible? Perfect logic? I don't read it. And God says that he's a God of, 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 of order, not disorder, right? So anything we read that sounds disorderly, uh, that, that's, that's not of God. Now... You may point out, don't be confused with the fact that God did will by his sovereign step-in kind of thing, and he did cause some Jews to reject Jesus Christ, as we read of here in Acts 4, so that his will of Christ's death for you know salvation for all mankind, for sinners. For a uh, Calvinist may be point, quick to point out Romans eleven twenty five. 25. For I do not desire a brother in the... Well, actually, I would quote this to refute them... For Paul says this about God, for I did not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, at least you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part, not totally, has come up to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. So we do know God did cause some Jews, even though he longed to have them gather him you know, under his wings and all that, he did will some to go against so that his ultimate purpose of the salvation of mankind. Could happen because again, had he not stepped in, salvation wouldn't have come to all mankind. Biblically, God has and does choose to use complete sovereignty. That means take complete control of people's actions at times, as explained here in Acts 4, to fulfill a certain major purpose that he has. Just some of them to think on because we don't read it throughout the whole Bible, just in certain sections, you know, here and there, when we see God's wanting to do something. Christ's betrayal by Judas. We know that somebody had to reject Jesus Christ in order to betray him because the scripture says it. It was a prophecy. So God did choose someone here to do that. And in sense, God did choose at least one person to go to hell because we know that Jesus said that, you know, the person that did this, woe, woe to you. So we do know that one. We didn't know his death, like Acts 4, that we just talked about. We know about Cyrus, king of Persia. God moved on his heart, right? And he, to bring the children of Israel back after the captivity. That wasn't salvific, but that was something God wanted done. My actual life here to start this church, this would have never happened had somebody done something to me in my past. And and so I, I know that. We got Joseph of Egypt with his 12 brothers. We know that his 12 brothers, they did that, but what did, why did he say afterwards of his own testimony? He said, you did this for evil, but God meant it for good because you see, had Joseph not gone to Egypt, there was a great famine and a, a tremendous amount of the world would have died and God didn't want that. So he divinely stepped in and kind of altered things so that Joseph's brothers would do that evil thing in the flesh, not in the spirit, to him. Jacob flee from Esau. That made the 12, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know that the end of the world vents. We know that the end world events are going to have to come. And we know that God's going to, we read in the Bible in Thessalonians that God's going to pull back. And then, you know, he's going to kind of take his spirit at one point and remove the covering of the safety of people from the devil because we know that the devil had free reign over all of us. He, he wouldn't let any of us live. He'd just destroy us all. Forget trying to get us reject God. He'd just destroy us all. Anyway, um, <clears throat> within every example I just gave, God sovereignly stepped in and made certain people do certain things for his greater divine purpose, but only for that divine purpose and that divine time. And it was never to force him to obey or serve or love him. But, but we do know on... On another small, minuscule because we got to point out these little things, because you know these little things are important. But it's important in the grand scheme of things. We don't lose our, you know, lose our way. Of course, we know that the Bible speaks of there being an elect group of people, also, but not everyone who is saved is elect. As I'll show you a verse in just a minute. That God has always had or created or made solely. To serve him and follow him so that he would always have a remnant of people to keep his presence known on earth. Examples would be Jesus' disciples. I chose you, he tells them. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul and Samson, of course. We know that before Samson was ever born, God came to Manoah and his wife and he said, you are going to have a child and he's going to serve me. Samuel, even as God brings it to my mind, he has, as God moved on in, 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 uh, in, on Samuel's life and his parents' lifehouse, he made his mom barren, and then she couldn't have any kids, and then and then all of a sudden she goes, Hey God, I'll just do this for you. And it's like I said, like, Yeah, that's what I was waiting for. I needed a deliverer in Israel. That's why I made that, and that's why I allowed you not to have any kids. Anyway, but as for the free will of all mankind as a whole and overall, to live for whomever they want and choose whom they will serve, obey, and love themselves or God Almighty, the majority of all mankind, they have complete. Complete free will in that aspect as we've been looking up here. Um, which is why Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.21, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Right? Oh, that's Romans, Ed. That's Romans. See, God predestines all to go to heaven or all to go to hell. Yet, verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, well, it doesn't even talk about God's divine intervention there, I mean, we know that God calls and all, but here it says that the person has a choice. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel of honor. And sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, I'm not sure where you stand on the subject of free will for the majority of mankind, or no free will for the majority of mankind in regards to loving, serving, obeying God goes, but I want to close with just one section of Scripture that encapsulate my beliefs that God absolutely gives free will to the majority of humanity, uh, for whether we love Him back or whether we choose to serve Him. Now I'm going to talk about His His divine sovereignty and where we live, and you know what kind of jobs we have and the, the talents we give. You know we have because we know the Bible talks about God gives us gifts and talents and things like that. We don't even, we're not even in control of those. There are people that are artists, and they're artists because, man, they just had that gift. There are people that are, you know, musicians, and they just had that gift, and they don't even know how they got it. They're just musicians. And when we know that God gave them sovereignly, he gave them those things. But my last verse is my showstopper, I called it. I called it my showstopper. And it's in Acts chapter 17 where Paul's preaching to those in Areopagus in Athens, Greece, and says... uh, to one, about one of the statues that they have there that they worshiped and they and he had inscribed with the words to the unknown God. And he's talking about all the different gods that they had worshiped, you know, but they had the one God there that, hey, hey, that's my God. Hey, that's the God of the whole universe. And he preaches in Acts 17, 23 through 27, uh, of this one true God. And in just one beautiful sermon, he approves some of the greatest major points of free will without outside of or without God's control that I've spoken on today. Look at this, verse twenty three in Acts seventeen, he says this. The one therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you God who made the world and everything in it. Sure sounds like Acts and Peter and the disciples and Acts 4, doesn't it? God who made heaven and earth, you, God, you made everything. Wow, there's one spirit. Look Paul was even preaching that just like the disciples did. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He's Lord of everything, right? He's Master, Lord, you are God. 25. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives life to all and breath to all and all things, sounds like the same God that us Christians worship today, right? He doesn't need anything. He, 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 he's, he is. He's, he exists eternally and separate from everything. He's self-sustaining, right? In verse 26, look at this. He's made from one blood. Who, who would that be? Well, the Bible says that's Eve. Uh, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the planet. And listen, my first couple points here about his sovereignty and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Wow. There's God's sovereignty for all mankind in Genesis 2, where he made Adam and he live, and Joshua 24, I gave you that land. He pre-appointed, he determined it, something, He his sovereign will. Now, his sovereign will is different than his Right, then his will for us to serve him or not, right, has determined our pre appointed times where we live. The time frame you live in today is because God said, Ed or or, or, or Paul or or Daniel or Billy or Bob, that you're going to live now. That's right. You're gonna live right now, 2017, and that's because I said so. Cause I'm God and I reign over all. And then here, and their boundaries of their dwellings. Hey, and you know, you know where you're gonna live? Oh, I don't know. I, I do. Cause I put you right where you are right now. Oh, and that job you got right now? It, it, you know, if if you're if you're working and you know you're not being lazy and you're not rejecting me. Hey, that job, that job's from me too. Because you know what? I give those things because I am sovereign, says the Lord God. But hold on. If you're a coward, you go, oh, I see, sovereign, sovereign, God's all sovereign. But why is God sovereign? And where we live and work and the time frame that we're born in, where we exist, stay with me. This is the huge finale and the why that will once and all prove without a shadow of doubt that God gives humanity free will outside of his control, in the most important aspect of our existence. Because who cares where we live? Who cares what time frame we're born in? We don't have a choice in that. Did you have a choice to be born from your mother's womb when you did there, sir? No. What about you, sir? No, nobody does. So who cares about that, right? I mean, hey, we're born, right? I'm just happy I'm here, right? But look at this. that He gives us free will outside of control in the most important aspect of our existence. Who he makes us or doesn't make us worship. Do we have a choice to live for ourselves, or do we must worship God, right? Look at this. And, and, and if we choose, by the way, to live an immoral or moral lifestyle, you know, God doesn't choose the, the person to go rape that baby. That's ridiculous. God doesn't choose for Muslims to go cut off Christians' heads. No, that's ridiculous. God gives us our free will for all of the majority. Look at verse 27, our last verse of today. I did all that, I'm not going to repeat it all, so that you should seek the Lord. Don't eat that tree, brother. Hey, worship the Lord your God, or, or choose to stay, worship the Lord your God, so that they should seek the Lord. Listen, in the hope, wow, that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far. From each one of us. If our free will was under his complete control logic, which is not free will at all, then why would God hope for us to grope for him? He would either be, we would either be condemned because he didn't choose us as a vessel of honor, right, his choice, or he would make us find him, his choice, right, if we were the vessel of honor, but certainly. God's not gonna hope for those things. No, hey, that's my son. Yeah, I I made him that way. Oh, I hope. Come on. Hey, I put you everywhere. I made these things happen in your life. I I made you born in this time because I want you to seek me. I want you, I hope you will. I hope you'll grow for me. Uh, God loves mankind so much that he's sovereign in where we live and work, not because of our, he takes away our total free will or it's under his control, because he hopes that these locations and situations and jobs and circumstances that he puts us in would hopefully lead us to seek him in his hope that we would grope or diligently look for him like we'd look for a light switch in a room that was pitch black dark. Oh, I'm tired of bumping into the wall. Oh, where is that light switch? That's groping. I lost the $100 bill. Where is that $100 bill? I got to find it. I got to find that $100 bill. That's the kind of groping that God's wanting us to do. Or his hope that we'd seek for him or grow for him, like Matthew 13. 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, who's that pearl of great price? That's the Lord and Master Jesus Christ. He went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. I found Jesus. Jesus, I'm yours. I'm selling everything. I'm giving everything to you. Total Mm -hmm. surrender. Now I hope that the matter of whether mankind is free will or not is settled in your hearts because God is hoping that we seek Him and He's hoping that we grope for Him. Yet as Calvinists say, our free will is under His total control. Then logic demands we ask, why would God hope that we would seek Him and grope for Him? It is 100% illogical because he would know for sure, because he would direct everyone's wills to either find them for sure or not find them for sure, depending on if, you know, you elect and all that crap. So anyway, that's free will, ladies and gentlemen. That is free will and God's sovereignty. But so, you know, the question's been settled a long time ago in my mind, right? But The big question for me today, and hopefully for you today, is not, does God give free will to humanity outside of his control? The greatest aspect of free will, if you ask me, free will to either love him and serve him and and obey him. No, the greater question is this. Excuse me. Because of where God has put you and caused you to live and work and the time period that he's put you in, have you sought him? as a pearl of great price? Have you groped for him as a dying man in the desert without water, taking his last moments of life about to die? Is that you? Have you groped for God? Have you sought the Lord? Well, Pastor, nobody can save themselves. Uh -uh, Hold on. God did everything and is drawing everybody and putting everybody in certain places so that you would. God always does the first. He's out there. Nobody's going to surpass him in heaven. We're never going to get to heaven and go, oh, you know, see, Lord, look what I did. God's going to say, I got you beat on that. I got you beat on that. But since God's calling, are you responding? He just went right here in Acts 17. He's calling. Are you responding? This is the question that everyone must ask themselves. For everyone has the choice by what we looked at today, to either seek and grope for God Almighty and Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't believe in him, and you know what, or maybe you say you don't believe in him, that's alright. But if you seek him, if you grope for him and you really want to know, like I did 17, 18 years ago, he could tell you. In fact, he hopes that you wouldn't. If he hopes that you would. Don't you think if you're hoping on something, that when something happens, you go, oh, okay. oh here we go, yeah, I'm going to do it. Of course, God's going to do it. He's hoping that you do it. Seek Him. Seek Him if you're uncertain. Seek Him. Grope for Him, as I said, for a light switch in a room that's pitch black dark. Seek Him like a glass of water in the desert when you're about to die. Because He wants you to come to the saving knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for this Word. Thank You so much, Lord God, for this this section of Scripture, Lord God, that although it was a tough section of Scripture, Lord God, and it... it, it Lord, a lot of people don't believe in what I spoke on today. Lord God, Your Word, if, if you just look at Your Word logically, Lord God, You have no choice but to say, No way! God does give free will. But then you also have to say, Lord that you are also sovereign. Because without you, nothing would even exist anyway, Lord God. And do we even choose where we decide to live? No, the Bible says you do that. Did we have a choice to be born from our mothers and fathers? No, Lord. And did we have a choice of what time frame we were born in? No, Lord, that's, that's all you. That's all you. But, Lord, it's the why. The why, Lord God. You do those things not because you're some evil dictator with your thumb on humanity going, oh, I'm going to crush them if they don't do what I want. No, Lord. You do that because you love us and you desire us to come to the saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. If we'll just seek, if we'll just grope, Lord God, then we will find, because Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Lord God, I pray for everybody out there that's listening to this message. Lord God, that's not... In a right standing with you, Lord God, or doesn't believe in free will, Lord God. I pray that your scripture would correct them post-haste, Lord God, and your scripture would bring them either to their knees and to the cross and to Christ Jesus, or, Lord God, that their knees would, would stop, would, that this sermon, that this scripture's Lord, would, would stop them from believing doctrine and, and false teaching that, that goes against completely what your word says. Thank you, Lord God, and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, amen.